how much is your time worth? Well, according to our guest today, your time is not your most valuable asset. Your attention is. In this episode, I'm having a conversation with Wes Woodhouse. Wes is a F-15 Strike Eagle pilot, which, by the way, is the coolest job I can think of. And Wes will share how his experiences as a fighter pilot have shaped his understanding of owning attention. Wes will share the hardest part of being a fighter pilot. Of course, I had to ask him that. And Wes will teach us about the logic of the pendulum when it comes to balancing work with family. Wes also teaches us the art of cross-checking and how it can be a lifesaver when you master it. We also dive into this amazing thought that Wes has about how we are moving from the information age to the attention age and how your attention is up for sale. But Wes will share two ways on how leaders can own their attention and get paid for it. You will learn the price of not owning your attention. My conversation with Wes Woodhouse starts right now. You are listening to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dads Making a Difference podcast. My name is Cam. I'm your host. I'm glad that you're here today for this amazing conversation with Wes Woodhouse. But first, before we get to Wes and introducing Wes, I want to share with you something that's exciting that's happening in the Dads Making a Difference world. We have men starting to stand up, put their hand up, and in their communities have started chapters of the DMD. Now, if you're interested in joining a local chapter of the DMD, the Dad's Making a Difference, let me know, send me a message, and we will work to get one started in your area as soon as we can. Now, let's get to the podcast. Welcome to this episode, and I thank you for being here. If you're new here, welcome. Uh, hit that subscribe button. I'd hate for you to miss out on any upcoming episodes. We have some killer guests packed in for the next few months, and I can't wait for you to hear those powerful conversations. And today, we're going to have a powerful conversation, powerful conversation with a friend of mine. I am happy to call him my friend, happy to call him my brother, uh, Wes Woodhouse. Wes is an F-15 Strike Eagle pilot. He's a squadron leader, but Wes is also the founder of Vector Atlas, a mastermind group that offers attention performance coaching to leaders so that they can help own their attention. Now, if you want to learn how to get paid with your attention instead of your time, then this is a must-listen episode for you. Wes is a father. He's a husband. He is a busy guy. I am so excited to have him here on this podcast. If you hear this conversation and you're hearing from Wes and I today and something brings you value and it impacts you in any way, we ask that you just pay it forward. Share it with somebody you know. Tag somebody in this conversation. Send this episode to someone on social media. Just go ahead, hit that share right there on iTunes or Spotify or Audible or YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening to this. Because the act of you sharing this episode could be the one step needed to help another man become a dad, making a difference. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Wes Woodhouse. Wes Woodhouse, brother, it's good to see you. Welcome to the DMD podcast, man. It's awesome to have you. Came all, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me, brother. Dude, Wes, I knew I had to have you on here. As soon as dad's making a difference podcast was something that was going to happen, <laughs> it became real. And I was listing out the guys who I had to have conversations with because I knew what they had to share, um, what they were passionate about, what they exemplified in their life. Like, you're a guy who has like got to get Wes on the podcast. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate that. That's humbling. Thanks, Cam. 
Cool. So Wes, you know, I, I shared a little bit about you in the introduction and I know the guys listening right now are, are like, oh man, this will be a cool conversation. You know, it's not often we get to hear from, you know, a guy who flies a fighter jet for a living. So we'll get into that. I'm sure. Uh, because Wes, you have the coolest job ever, man. Like really you do. And you have the job that every boy dreams about, you know, at some point in their life is I want to be a fighter pilot. And the difference between you and other guys is that you made it happen. Like this is what you do. So Wes, why don't you share a little bit about your upbringing, uh, your story and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. All righty. My upbringing. Well, I was privileged to be born into a Bible believing Christian family. Um, we grew up going to church and learning about the Lord uh, all throughout that. I think probably one of the biggest things that I would have to say that has had an influence on me from my parents and specifically my dad was he was present in my life. I was I was the oldest out of uh, six kids. So, uh, but man, I, you know, thinking back, I can't remember a single baseball game that he wasn't there you know, at least cheering me on, if not coaching, he was there coaching most of it. So that, I, I think that in a big way sums, sums up my childhood where my parents were all for us kids trying something, trying something new. Uh, and if it's something that we liked, then working hard at it to become as good as we can be. But then they were there the whole way, you know, teaching us and helping us, helping us along the way. And uh, just tracing back to where I am now, I think that has followed me. The work ethic that my parents put on display for us and honestly required us, out of us um, from time to time. Yeah, I, I think I, I do not, I would not be where I am right now with, without them. So wasn't always, uh, you know, rainbows and, and, and unicorns the whole time, but, uh, but it was great. It, looking back, I, I have nothing to complain about, honestly, my childhood. So yeah, it's very seldom perfect. Hey, you know, yes. if somebody came on here and said, yeah, my childhood was perfect. A liar, yeah. <laughs> you know, just like if yeah. somebody says I'm a perfect dad liar, you know, no, you're not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anybody that said that? Not yet. Not okay. yet. Thank goodness. Well, our, screen, yeah. our screening process is effective. Apparently that's fair. Oh, that's that good. Fair. Uh, <laughs> Wes, you, you said your parents are really supportive of you and, you know, in transparency to our listeners, like you and I know each other because we're part of a mastermind group. And I've had the privilege of hearing you speak from stage and you share about how your parents were supportive. And I'm sure they were supportive of you as you had a plan, a plan. I don't say a dream, but you had a plan to become a pilot. Um, but I think it's important for our listener to know when that dream slash plan started. It, and like you said, it started as a dream. Uh, I was one of those young boys who was like, you know, man, fighter airplanes. I, you know, you go to an air show and you see the the Thunderbirds or the Blue Angels flying past at, at barely at, at dang near the speed of sound. And it's like, dude, that's so cool. I want to do that. Um, and it was something that kind of that stuck with me. I, I initially wanted to be an engineer and I never wavered from that either. Uh, and that's what I studied in college, but it was my true goal. And the thing that motivated me throughout high school and college was becoming a fighter pilot. We were on a family vacation and we stopped by at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado. And I'd always, I'd wanted to fly at that point, but I hadn't put the, put flying in the military together and seeing those, the jets out in the little square right next to the Academy chapel and putting the the two and two together of, Oh, I want to fly, but it's expensive and a lot of work to fly, but I could also, I could fly for the air force and, and they would teach me how to fly at that point. It was, I was in eighth grade at the time. And that's what solidified it. I, I was going to do what it took to become a fighter pilot. 14 uh, years old. Yeah. Eighth, uh, probably. Yeah. 13, 14, eighth grade. Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into at the time, <laughs> but uh, it, it, the timing was honestly great being the the last year before high school and then having my dream in mind so I could at that point kind of map out what gates I needed to to get through and what sorts of things I needed to accomplish in order to make it to become a fighter pilot um it was great timing because then I could I could figure that out and work hard at it and it was uh it was a good time I think 
unfortunately, not everybody has has that type of vision that early on, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, uh, for me, it, it worked out really well. But I think the key is taking the goal and then never wavering from that goal as the motivator for figuring out the footsteps that it takes to get to success. I love that, man. I love that. You know, you talked about vision and, you know, our conversation is going to surround attention and how attention, I feel, parallels vision a little bit, but you're going to get more into that. But we will get there. But there are guys, we have to go here, man. And I apologize, but there are guys listening to this right now say, Cam, don't move on yet. Come on. Tell us more about being a fighter pilot. What is it like? Is it really as cool as it sounds? And, you know, we're just about to get a new fighter jet movie coming out this this spring, this summer. Um, and so let's dive into your job for a moment. Tell us about it. Share with the guys who are listening. Like, What is it like uh, to fly professionally? It's a lot of work and it's uh, very stressful. No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> it is a lot of work and it is stressful sometimes. But, man, I mean when you're sitting there in the cockpit of a fighter jet and you've got the bubble canopy over you, so you can, you've got a 360 degree view and you can just turn the jet a little bit, then, you know, look at the ground straight, straight beneath you. It is, I mean, it it really is tough to describe. Um, You know, you're flying fast and the strike eagle, we get to fly low as well. So you're seeing the ground whiz past you at 600 something miles an hour. Uh, It's a rush. It's, it is an adrenaline rush. Uh, another part of the job that can't be taken lightly is I get to work with great people. They're all amazing people who have accomplished, who have had to to do amazing things in order to get to the point where they are. So even just the, the people that I get to work with, but yeah, it, I mean, sometimes, like I said, it's, it's hard work and it's stressful. And it is, it's true. It is, it is hard work and it's stressful. There's always more to learn in order to stay tactically relevant. And it's not just like head knowledge, learning the mind. It It's, maintaining physical skills as well the stick and throttle uh skills as we say uh but yeah it it is it's phenomenal it's a rush every single time and i I struggle to sometimes take a minute take a breath and just look around and appreciate how awesome it is that the air force just threw me the keys to a fighter and (laughs) And off you go yeah Yeah. that's excellent you know when you do take a moment and you are able to just like take a breath and be like, whoa, man, this is where I'm at. Look at this. You know, what has been the best part of, of your job? It's fulfilling. It's challenging. And there's always another challenge, whether it's upgrading to a new um, position. So you've got your, your basic pilot, but then you become a two ship flight lead where you're in, in charge of a, a two ship of fighters. And then you become a four ship flight lead where you're in charge of a four ship then you can become a mission commander where you can lead an entire package of multiple formations to, to execute a mission. And then you become an instructor and now you're teaching and training young people, young pilots to become two ship and four ship flight leads and so on. So there's always another challenge to, to get after always new things to learn. And it's fulfilling because once you accomplish them, that's one thing that the, that the U S military does a good job of is it it's, it gives you when you achieve the next kind of position or rank or whatever, there's a reward that comes with it in varying forms, but it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I would say that's, that's probably the biggest thing is, is the fulfillment and getting to meet quality people who are dedicated to the mission and making sure that it gets done. Very cool, man. It's an awesome and, experience. And you're in a position of leadership now in your career, correct? I am. I'm an instructor in the F-15E and I do operational test is my current, job which is great because we get to try out all the latest and greatest hardware software and weapons uh and then i'm the director of staff for my squadron right now so basically managing the the people and paperwork side of the squadron isn't isn't quite as uh as exhilarating as 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 glamorous as flying around in a jet but uh hey you you sometimes have to do one in order to get the other right (laughs) No, that's amazing, man. Like that's real life top gun stuff right there, right? Yeah, so, it is. Guys, guys are loving that. But, you know, I can't ask you what the best part of your job is without, you know, being honest and transparent saying, you know, what has been the hardest part of your profession? You know, being a, a military officer, it, 
coming with a job, obviously we move around a lot and drag the family with us and you go on deployment and you're separated from the wife and from your wife and your kids. And, uh, I think that's probably one of the more difficult parts is, is how do I maintain the relationship with, I mean, for example, I deployed, I've only had one deployment, but I deployed when my oldest daughter turned three months old. Mm. And so I was gone between three months and 11 months of her life, which is a time that I'll never get back. Um, she, she will never remember that obviously, but I will. Uh, and I wasn't there to be able to help my wife, Kate, take care of things, the house and learn how to be a new mother and, you know, make the parenting decisions early on. Uh, and I mean, there are plenty of other professions that require periods of separation. Um, but the, the military side is fairly chronic. Um, so I, overall, I'd say that now there are good things too, that come along with the family side. There's a lot of really good camaraderie amongst the families in a fighter squadron specifically. So, you know, having great people that all have, you know, great spouses and kids and everything, and you get together on, on the weekends or, or whatever it is. So I guess there's, it's a, it's a two-sided sort of thing there, but, uh, it, yeah, it, it can be taxing on the family in, in some ways. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about attention. So I want to start getting to there in the attention that you place on your family. So how do you balance the demands of your profession that you just shared with us with the demands of being a husband and a father? It's tough, Cam. It's, uh, it's not easy. It's really not. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you have to, you have to visualize the process. You have to, you have to, you have to kind of see and identify where things are going to come up short and where they're not. I, I like to, you know, we, we call it a, people call it a work-life balance. You know, I am more in the camp of it's a pendulum. So sometimes the pendulum will swing to where you need to pay a lot of of your attention and your time at work. And for example, a deployment or something like that, where, yeah, I'm a hundred percent doing the job and basically have no time with the family. I, yes, you know, video calls and, uh, and email and, and text messages and all that, but it's not the same, but then that should be followed up by a swing in the other direction of the pendulum where you go through a period of time after after that swing where you're focusing on the family a lot more so than on the job, uh, whether that's in the form of taking some time off and just, you know, taking a vacation with the family or throttling back on some of your projects at work so that you're able to get home at a decent time. And but yeah, throttling back. Uh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, if you're watching on YouTube right now, when Wes uses flight metaphors, I smile. I love it because I get it a lot. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 that's great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, pulling back so you can you can take a little bit more time, get get home, make sure that you're home for dinner, and maybe leave after breakfast after the kids get up and everything. Um, and you know, like at some point, Kate has her own career that she's that she's working as well, and so there's times where I have to make sacrifices at work in order to make sure that she's moving forward with with the things that she needs to do. Uh, and that's, that is important to me as well. Uh, and there's a third piece too. So you've got the profession piece and you've got the family piece, but then there's a faith piece too, um, mm. that I try to make more of a reoccurring daily thing. Uh, so I get up early in the morning and do my workout and then I make sure to spend some time with the Lord, uh, you know, studying scripture and then, and then spending time in prayer and everything. So, and for that one, I, that's the, that's the one where I try to not put on the pendulum at all. Like that should be the top of the pendulum, I guess, where, you know, everything is kind of anchored into that and it, it doesn't change. It maintains consistency, but I, you can kind of see looking forward. Like I know, for example, I have a work trip coming up next month. So I know I'm going to be gone during that time. So I need to prepare for the pendulum swing before that happens by pouring into the family, then have the pendulum swing and then swing it back and spend time with them again on the, on the tail end and Make sure that I'm investing the atten my attention into them as as much as they need it. I love that. I love that idea of a pendulum going back and mm -hmm. forth. We know we get that. You said it. People will do the cliche work life balance. Mm -hmm. I've approached it sometimes in a counterbalance. Like nothing will ever be in balance, but it's yeah. what you're giving your attention to. Yeah. 
And so when you have your pendulum that's going back and forth, you know, within your pendulum and your experience with your family and your pendulum with experience to your, your job and your profession and with your faith, you know, how has your experiences, you know, in the Air Force and with your family influenced the way that you approach time, presence, and attention? It's a good question, Cam. One thing that flying the Air Force way, because the Air Force way is very different than civilian flying or even uh, civilian professional flying, is there's a huge focus on the cross check. The whether it's an instrument cross check, you're flying through the weather and you need to make sure that you're checking all the different instruments so that you know that you're on altitude, on airspeed, and in the right location in space, and you're going the right direction and everything. But there's a cross check. I mean, imagine imagine flying a fighter at 100 feet above the ground at 600 miles an hour. You have to have a cross check. You have and think about it in a tactical scenario too. So you've got maybe other opposing fighter jets that are probably going to try and shoot you down, and uh, you've got a mountain over here that that you need to that you need to avoid. But probably you want to stay close to it so that the service to air missile system on the other side doesn't actually see you. So there's all these things going on maintaining your cross check means i'm looking outside and keeping keeping away from the rocks because the the rocks have a hundred percent kill uh probably a hundred percent probability of kill get a hit a rock you're probably gonna die uh which means that you're not putting the bomb on target or you're not you know shooting shooting the the opponent down so you look at the rocks outside and then you look down at your tactical display and check where you are in space and then you look at your airspeed and altitude check to make sure you're above the rocks again and then you check where your wingman is and then you check where the target is and make sure that you have all of your targeting set up but then you go back outside and look at the rocks and then you look at where you're at in, in space and then you check your wingman and then you check your targeting and then wow. it just keeps on going and yeah. and the key is to keep that cross check going because i may miss one detail on one time around but then as I'm going around the loop again, I remember, hey, I need to check this thing. So next time I'm around, I check, I check that thing. Yep, my wingman is, is in the right position. Okay, good. And then I go around again. And then, oh, I forgot to check how fast I was going. Maybe I'm getting too fast or getting too slow. So the next time around, I check my airspeed and then adjust my throttle as required. And that is applicable to just about everything. I mean, obviously, you, you think about driving a car. It's, you're not going 600 miles an hour or anything. But there are a lot of things going on. You've got the map, uh, your you know your ways or Google Maps where you're going. You got the screaming kid in the back seat. You got the the driver who almost hit the guy ahead of you. So now I got to keep an eye on him. Oh, the light just turned green or whatever, so I can start going. But a lot of things going on, and the good drivers are the ones who are making a constant scan in the rearview mirror, in the in the side mirrors, straight out ahead. You know, check in that that biker along the side of the road doesn't, you know, veer around a, a rock or something and into your lane. You keep up that cross check. Well, the same applies to work or business. We all have all these different things going on. Got to maintain that cross check. Be be checking in on, on this potential failure point and then move on to the next one and then make sure that you're you're checking back in. I mean, it's I honestly like the whole the whole um the whole thing of life where you're managing your work and your, your family, it's kind of like the pendulum, you know? Yeah. It may swing to one direction, but you're still going to have to check in every once in a while. Uh, and then hopefully when you're taking leave, you're actually, you know, stiff arming work as much as possible. So I guess that's <laughs> where the, the, uh, the, uh, analogy breaks down a little bit, but yeah, I mean that I would say getting back to your attention, your question on attention is it's trained me to have the mm. diligence of having that cross check because that's what I do every time I'm flying. And it's when you start breaking, when that cross check starts breaking down, when you're flying, you start missing your altitude and then you miss your altitude a second time. And then you miss your altitude a third time. And then you miss your altitude a fourth time. And now you're a thousand feet off altitude or something. And now you're in potentially the way of another airplane. That's when bad things could start happening. Uh, so paying, paying attention, paying the right amount of attention in the right, on the right thing at the right time is the key. And that's applicable to so many different different areas of life. Man, that's cool. You know how that cross check can you can use what you've learned in your profession. Yeah. But you know, I'm listening to this right now. I'm like, oh man, what am I doing with my cross check? Like, what what am I checking every day in my family? What am I checking every day in my profession? What am I checking mm -hmm. every day with the men that I'm I'm 
I feel that I'm caring for through dad's making difference and, and other things going on. So I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, you are, you know, what I know about is you are passionate about empowering others to live a life that is disciplined, that is purposeful and that, you know, is attentive, you know, I've, I, like I said before, I've heard you speak passionately about your belief that society is on the brink of an experience of dynamic change. What is that change? Share with the guys who are listening right now, because you've explained this to me and I'm just like, yeah, man, like, I like this. This is cool. So explain to the guys listening right now, what is the change that you're speaking of? Let me say, isn't it exciting that we get to experience a, a major societal change? Uh, I, I think that we have probably already transitioned into the next age. So you, you hear the term information age. Yeah. The information age came about around the time when Facebook started in 2005, 2006, which was about the same time as Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. I think that was 2007. Computers and computer processing really came onto the, the societal stage in the, in the mid 2000s back then. Now let's go back a little bit. The agricultural age, long time ago, right? In the agricultural age, pretty much everybody was working the ground and growing their food and then consuming that food. And pretty much everybody was doing that. Then we transitioned into the industrial age and the, that started a consolidation of work. Right. So instead of everybody doing the same thing, now we had it got a little bit more specialized. And now and the population that was involved in, in industry was slightly smaller than the population, a smaller percentage of the population than the percentage of people who are who are farming primarily. Moving to the information age, and that consolidates even more where fewer people, a fewer percentage of the population is working on the on the things that made the information age of the information age moving on into the what i call attention age mm. some people will call it the creative age there's a there's a couple other names for it but but it, it's a further move where it's a even smaller percentage of the population that is involved in in the types of things that make the the attention age the attention age uh attention harvesting is something that have you ever heard that term, Cam? I, I have not. I've not. Okay. Tell us what attention harvesting is. Attention harvesting is the term that's used for companies, the most well-known being Google and Facebook and other big tech giants who are literally selling our attention, Cam. That's right. They, big business. I mean, yeah, you've got, we've all got our little, uh, little cell phones that have all the social medias on there and they're specifically designed to to keep our eyeballs on those apps as long as possible because the longer that the eyeballs are on the apps, the more ads they're able to put in front of your eyes and the more ads they're able to put in front of your eyes, the more attention, the more of your attention they're selling to whoever is putting up those ads because people buy the ads for the eyeballs that those uh, companies can do. So let's, uh, let's go back to the agricultural age as well. Working with our hands in the agricultural age, right? Then we move into the industrial age. A little bit of working with the hands, but a lot of working with machines, right? Yeah. Moving to the information age. And now it's transitioned. Now we're using our minds a little bit more than we're using our hands. Yeah, keyboards, but um, you primarily using our minds. Transition to the attention age. And it's all about what's going on in your mind. It's all about Google is going to hire you if you can pay attention to, to problem solving this specific problem or creating this specific project, uh, name a company. That's what we're really looking for. Cam, you're paid yeah. for your attention, right? Both in doing this podcast right now, you are paying me your attention and I'm paying you my attention. And for everybody who's listening right now, you are paying your attention to this podcast. You're spending it because you could, you could be spending it on something else. You could be scrolling Facebook right now. I don't know. Maybe you are, um, you're potentially driving. So now you're splitting your attention just a little bit, but you're paying us our, you're paying your attention right now to listening to this podcast, which is can, interesting can, to think about. You know? Can we pause there for a second? Can I dive into yeah. that for a minute? Because yeah. I, I've heard lots that time is our most valuable asset. Hmm. You know, time is your most valuable asset. Where are you spending your time? And as you're speaking, I'm like, 
is it time that's my most valuable asset or is it my attention? You know, I, I love what you're saying. You, know, Pete, you are spending your attention. People are purchasing, whether financially, you know, online or in presence, their presence with you, like they're purchasing your attention. That it's such a, that's a mind blowing breakaway for anybody who's listening to this as where am I putting my attention right now? Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about our community of DMD brothers in the DMD mastermind. We are men who help each other to stay focused and intentional in our pursuits of personal, professional, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual growth. We are a community of men who bring courage, wisdom, and transparency to unfiltered conversations that challenge us to be more impactful men. To be dads making a difference. We do this through our online and in-person events where men come together to speak into each other's lives and then turn around and do the deep work to create change in their families, in their businesses, and in the community around them. If you are wondering if this community might be right for you, you can find more information on the DMD Mastermind, and you can also book a call directly with me at dmdmastermind.com. Now, let's get back to our show. So I was, I just got back from a work trip and I was, you know, flying, I flew on an airplane this time. I wasn't in the cockpit, unfortunately. Um, but the airport is, a, everybody loves people watching it at the airport, right? There's, oh, there's yeah. just so much and it's oh, so yeah. hilarious. But it, this last time I was sitting there and I was observing what people did in the forced waiting periods because you're forced to wait in line to get through security. Then you're forced to wait at the gate until your plane is boarding. And then you're forced to wait standing there in line to get on the plane. And then you sit and wait for the plane to take off. And then you sit and wait to get there. And then you sit and wait to deplane. Some people stand to wait uh, to to get off the plane. Uh, And then you're kind of off to the races unless you have to wait to pick up your bag. So many times of, of just forced waiting. And observing what people are doing during those times, you know, like you have somebody over here who's literally just like staring out the window blankly, probably thinking great thoughts. And he's probably doing the best out of all of us because then you look over and uh, somebody else is watching a movie on their phone or somebody else is is working out their thumbs on the on the death scroll. Uh, You got some people who are maybe doing a, a Rubik's Cube. And then you got some people who look like working uh, and they're probably trying really hard to look like they're working on something really important. But in all honesty, you're in the middle of an airport. So how much work are you actually getting done because it's so loud and so distracting? I, it's, it's just so interesting. And to, to your point of which is more valuable, your time or your attention in the times where we are in the queue, when we're waiting, you're going to spend that time either way, you know? It takes time to check out uh, and pay for the groceries in the grocery store. But what you're doing with your mind in that time could be vast. There's a, there's a huge range of things that you could be doing. You could be talking on the phone, building relationships with somebody. You could be praying. Uh, you could be scrolling the, the endless death feeds and just melting your mind and, and allowing Facebook to continue to get richer. Um, you know, you could be listening to a podcast. That's a great idea. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think to your point, I mean, there is a, a, a certain argument to be made for your time is the most valuable resource because every second that ticks by, you're never going to get back. And you also don't know when you're going to die. So, you know, maybe spending time with, with your family when you have the chance should be higher on the list. Because if I get in the car tomorrow on the way to work, who knows? I mean, that, that could be the Lord's time to say you're coming with me, pal. Um, and you're going to wish that you'd spent a little bit of extra time and attention on your daughter. But then to the other side, like I just said, I can be physically with my daughter and then she can tell me, dad, put down your phone. Hmm. And then it's just a freaking slap in the face because right. I'm physically with her. Yeah. But am I truly with her? If I'm not paying my attention, it's tough. It is tough. The, the the guys who program these these cell phones and the social media are very good at their job. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Uh, so that but that's a great point, Cam. That's that's a really it's it's a mind blowing topic to think about. So, okay, you know, barring 
let's say a you know a rock doesn't fall out of the sky tomorrow and crush my truck on the way to work uh or a dad out there but i think it's important for, for you to say like the attention that you're giving right now is the most important attention that you have so what mm-hmm. can happen if we do not own our attention as fathers owning your attention to me is am i not only in control of where I'm putting my attention, but am I being intentional about my attention? Mm-hmm. Right. So yes, I, I think that is kind of, is the difference between, between someone who's just living life almost, you could almost think of it more as the difference between being reactive and then um, actively spending your attention, placing your attention in the places that matter. But yeah. Owning your attention adds that level of intentionality. So uh, maybe it is sitting down on Sunday and blocking out, hey, what workout am I going to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Um, you know, what is my Bible study going to look like? What what actually, what am I reading? So I've got a plan. Uh, when am I leaving work? How much time do I have to spend with the, the kids in the morning? that is being intentional about your time and intentional about your attention. Because when you, when you pre-decide what you're going to do, you're, you're far more likely to, you're, I think it's like 10 times or I don't know, some, some ridiculous amount of higher that you will accomplish it than not. But, but for example, being intentional about my intention right now, my daughter's taking a nap right now while we're, while we're recording this. But when she gets up, I have a choice to make. It's just me and my daughter at home right now. My wife's off on vacation. Um, so I can get up, I can get her up and then I can, you know, sit her down in front of the TV and melt her mind and then go off and, and do whatever I I want to do. Or I can take advantage of this one-on-one time that I have with her and play a game with her or, you know, go outside and go for a walk or something like that. But if I don't decide what I'm going to do for that block of time, what's going to happen? Right. Lowest common denominator, right? Yeah. I may, like I said, I may sit in the room, but I'm probably not going to get any work done or I'm not going to spend quality time with her because I'm just going to get sucked into the, the endless scroll or, you know, maybe I'll watch a show with her. And, um, and I mean, that is spending time at some level, but probably not the type of time that she would really want because at the end of it, you know, what do you have to show for it? Yeah. It's tough, man. It's tough. It really, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's maybe it's even it's harder after you know all this because then you're aware of all the times that you're failing. That's right. Um, but I think it is important to be aware of it because, you know, man, it just kills me when my daughter's like, daddy, put your phone down. I'm just like, Oh man. Yeah. You know, you see the dads at the park, you know, the kids oh, are at the yeah. park, they're oh. on their phone. I, you know, I found myself out. I I've, I've gotten into the habit. Thanks to you uh in our mastermind group and you know we meet every monday and one of the things you said was like spending your attention so what i started doing i started doing this a few months ago is every time we leave the house where it's our family i will leave my phone at home because some say well what happens if you have an emergency well someone will help you know like there are people there i don't need to have my phone my device on me all the time if Braylon and I are going to the park, I'm going to leave my device at home. If we are going to yesterday, he baseball, you know, and I caught myself because I had my phone in my back pocket. I'm out there tossing pitches and I'm like, what, why do I have this on me right now? And I think about what could happen if we don't own our attention. I think about those dads who are distracted and maybe they're looking for an escape, but they don't realize that the better escape is to connect connect with their wife to connect with their spouse connect with you know their kids um there's a lot of things if you don't own your attention as a dad you're missing out on a lot of opportunities to make a a really lasting impact in your kid's life yeah you you are that's that's a a great concept cam so let me ask you this what is the biggest difference that you've seen between the times where you're throwing a baseball with your kid and have the phone in your back pocket versus one of the times that you leave it at home. Like what's the presence, man. It's presence. It's, I am more present in that moment. 
I'm not distracted. I'm not subconsciously distracted with like the phantom pocket vibrate. Did somebody get me? I'll even take like, I'm, I have a smartwatch on. I will even take my watch off because if it vibrates, where are my eyes going right away? Game over. My attention's done. And so whether I'm doing deep work in the morning, whether I'm doing my devotionals in the morning, whether I'm with my son, my daughter, or my wife, or my friends, or my colleagues, I've started to be way more mindful of where my attention is. I'll have a colleague come into my office and I'll make sure that I turn off my computer screens. Because even that idea of just letting the eyes shift shows that that screen is more important than that person sitting there who needs you. And so that's what I've, I've definitely realized in the last few months of doing this. That's a phenomenal tip as well. And I think that leaving your phone at home is potentially the ultimate intentionality with your attention for the unit of, I'm going to go take my son to the park and, and we're going to play some ball or, or whatever it is, because that maybe for you is the number one thing that's going to hijack your attention. And so just taking that completely out of the, out of the equation is perfect. That's so hard to do though. So hard to do. It's so unnatural. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I I struggled this morning. Yeah, I struggled this morning even. So now Kim and I had to make a plan. We had to be more intentional with our time. You know, she's coaching soccer. I'm coaching baseball. We still want to get our workouts in. We still want to get mm-hmm. family time in. We just can't work out in the afternoon or early evening mm-hmm. anymore. We have to go in the morning. So it's mm-hmm. 4.45 a.m. wake-ups, get to the gym by 5, alternating days. You know, I'm walking the dog this morning. And I think there's value in having quiet time where you can process. And I found myself this morning, God, I'll walk the dog, put my air bods in. And I'm, all, I'm and I got about a kilometer in, but I got that far in. I got, you know, and I realized what am I doing? So I took it out and I just listened, you know, birds chirping in the morning, clear my head because I think as men, we also need to do that. I, I want to dive into a little bit about how you help guys do this, right? So you help leaders men, women, but in this context of our conversation, let's talk about fathers and men, you know, you help them own their attention in two ways. So what are the two ways that, you know, you help others own their attention? One, one way that I, well, I mean, first off, and something that we all should be doing is holding each other accountable for the exact things that you are saying, you know, Hey, dude, is this, is this truly where you want your attention to be? Let's, you know, put the phone down and let's, let's be present. Um, stand. What I do is I stand up whenever somebody comes up to the desk to talk to me, I'll stand up because that makes them not just procrastinate and get to the point, but then it also makes me pay my attention to them. Uh, and a little bit less of the lazy eye down to the screen and everything. Uh, but, and that is something that, that we all should be doing is holding each other accountable. My wife holds me accountable with, you know, Hey, am I, am I, (laughs) the kid's like, are you scrolling? And then I'll be like, Kate, are you scrolling right now? And that's like, that's like our little thing, but what is it at its essence? It's the two of us holding each other accountable to something that we both have made a commitment to doing. And that is to get away from not being, being physically present, but not being completely present, uh, with, with the mind and the attention as well. Um, but I do, attention performance coaching where I take somebody and it's uh, essentially it's, it's like when I had the vision to become a fighter pilot, there's a certain amount along the way, there's a certain amount of attention that is required to get to the next step along the way. So you can almost think of it when day zero of day one of high school till high school graduation, there's an, there's a requirement for attention in order to pass a class, there's a certain amount of attention required in order to pass the first test in that class. It'll require a certain amount of attention to study for that test. So to get to the end of high school, a certain amount of attention. And if I pay less attention, I'm getting B's. If I'm paying even less attention, I'm getting C's. And if I'm paying even less then I'm failing. So certain amount of attention there, same thing with college. So I help people identify the steps to get to like where they need to be spending their attention from point A until achieving point B, whatever vision that is, and then help in the accountability process of getting there because it takes accountability. In high school and college, accountability comes in the forms of, of exams yep. and papers. They're the, the professor is holding you accountable to understanding the knowledge by giving you an exam 
and having you have to pass that. So I do, uh, I do attention performance coaching. And then I also have a system for accountability. So it's kind of essentially, I mean, it goes really well with, with the attention performance coaching, but, but less of a reoccurring meeting time and more of a, let's establish the system of habits that, that you need, the, the tasks that you need to accomplish. And then I help you develop a system for accountability to make sure that you're staying on track. Um, so what does that truly, what does that actually look like? It will be a, a face-to-face or over Zoom session of designing what, what systems you need to develop and to stay consistent on, but then getting into, all right, what is going to be the motivator, whether it's a reward or whether it's a punishment of some sort, what's going to motivate you to stay on track with this system. And then what's the method for holding you accountable, whether it's text messages or whether it's emails every once in a while, or whether it's dropping tasks into your, into whatever uh, to-do list system that you have. I have recently done this for myself. I, I have a goal this year to read the Bible through from Genesis one, all the way to the end of revelation. And so you have a certain amount of chapters to stay on timeline in order to, to get all the through. It's about three chapters a day. And I have a plan because I'm being intentional with my attention for, uh, for reading scripture. So, but when I leave on a work trip, I don't bring my giant study Bible with me. And so it's easy to get lost uh, on where I'm supposed to be when I'm just reading on my phone or whatever. So I systematized my accountability for reading the chapters every single day. I have a spreadsheet that has the plan in it using if this, then that ifttt.com, I think it is. It sends me a text message every morning with the reading that I need to do. So now I have zero excuses because no matter where I am, no matter what resources I have, (laughs) I don't have to check anything. Just like everybody else, I'm going to be checking my text messages, right? Probably way too many times every single day. Um, But then I have the plan there. So it's essentially that. It's helping you systematize your accountability. It's it's adding a little bit of external accountability to get you to, to where you want to be. Some people have really good internal accountability and they can they can just make it happen. Some people need a little bit of external accountability. And that is what the military does. They take a bunch of young green recruits, apply a lot of external accountability to them in in an attempt to build up the internal accountability of you know, terms like diligence or, or discipline. Discipline is to some degree, something that you are born with, but largely it is not. Discipline is largely something that you or somebody else trains you in. Um, so yeah, those, those are the, the two awesome. big things. I also have a, a mastermind, um, as well for, for leaders who, who are on a pursuit of spending their attention in a way that is going to move themselves, their family, uh, and their communities. Forward. Very cool, man. Thanks for sharing. You know, as we, man, you've dropped so much value in this episode so far, <laughs> but you know, as, as I tail off conversations with guys and the guys who come on, there's always a few questions I'd love to ask. Okay. So, uh, you just got into a little bit with systems and stuff, but I think a question would be like, what have you learned lately about yourself that has helped you become a better husband, father, and leader? Hmm. Honestly, I think one of the biggest things is understanding what my, when I'm bored, what's easy to do. It's honestly kind of what we've just been talking about. And I've been talking about it because that's top of mind. But the biggest thing being, you know, what am I doing with my technology during times when I'm at home with the family? One thing that we've done in the past, and Kate and I should probably get into doing this again, is having a set time after work where technology goes on the shelf or whatever. And then we just don't have that for the rest of the day until the girls get on the bed or, or whenever it actually is. Um, but realizing, you know, when, when I'm bored, what's my first reaction and then kind of getting inside that loop and being a little bit more intentional and setting up a system to help me be the dad that I want to actually be. It takes, it takes forethought. It takes intentionality. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, next question. What are you most excited about right now? 
dude, I'm excited about being on a great show with you right now, Kim. And I'm not even, <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm, I'm serious. I talking, talking to men like you, I just got off of a call with another dad and we were talking about dad things. Um, but it's so great to talk to other people who we're generally in a common mind. We both, you know, I I've known you for, for a while. We both, um, value the similar things, but we're also different, but being able to come together and talk about some of the things that we struggle with, like, man, uh, it is so hard to pay attention to your family when there's so many distractions and encourage each other and give each other tips, like leave the phone in the car or leave the phone at home when you're going out to the park. That's phenomenal. I'm on the next walk I take, uh, and I'll have you hold me accountable to it. I'm going to leave my phone at home because why do I need to be texting email and text messages when I'm on, on a walk, enjoying God's creation with my family. I don't, and I shouldn't, but yeah, it's, it's energizing. And it, um, it, uh, it just makes me glad that to know people like you and, and the guys that are, that are listening right now who want to make a difference in their own lives and in the lives of their kids and in the world, just by, just by being a better dad, because I mean, what greater calling than to raise than be, to be a good example and to, and to, parent your children in a way that will set them off to be difference makers in the world. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Wes. I appreciate you too, Cam. (laughs) Hey, Hey man, if someone's listening today and they want to find you online, which this is kind of a funny question because I know how much you enjoy the social media, (laughs) but really if they want to find you online or connect with you, how can they get in touch? Go to westwoodhouse.com. That's uh, that's the launching point for perfect. For Wes Woodhouse. And, yes. And sign up for a phone call. Cause I would love to meet you and, um, and see what you're doing to become the father that you need to be. Amazing. Wes, thank you so much for joining me today, man. That was an awesome episode. If you are listening to this right now and you're like, man, I need to connect with that guy. Go to westwoodhouse.com. We'll make sure Wes's information is all in the show notes. Wes. Thank you. Cam. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. I hope you found value in today's show. And if it made a positive impact on you, please share it with someone you know, leave a five-star review, and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. I'm Cam Hall. Thank you for spending time with me today, and I will see you on the next episode of the DMD Podcast.